1: We want every single piece of our content to leave the their reader feeling empowered and activated rather than overwhelmed.
0: As people with important messages to share, how do we balance dropping truth bombs about problems in the world with inspiring hope? How can we even begin to tackle issues of modern-day slavery and exploitation of natural resources by huge companies that have such complex supply chains that they can't even trace? In this episode, we shed light on these topics and so much more. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe because there are tons of inspiring conversations in store for you. And if you want to receive weekly highlights from the podcast every Sunday to help you to reset and feel a little at more activated before the new week starts you can head to greendreamer.com to opt in it's free and I write these myself personally so I'd love to have you there greendreamer.com to sign up and now to today's episode let's dive in Our guest today started a highly recognizable and stunning publication in 2014 called The Good Trade, which shares stories of social impact brands with conscious consumers. Today, the publication reaches millions of readers per year, and its co-founder and editor-in-chief is about to share with you some of her greatest learning lessons building out this publication. Green Dreamer, starting the conversation with what sparked her initial interest in conscious living and conscious consumerism, here is Amy Ann Cadwell.
1: I first pursued social impact and socially conscious living as an academic interest, actually. So my undergraduate work was in um, development economics as I've kind of always had a passion for poverty alleviation and sustainable solutions to global social and economic problems. So, um, so that was my undergraduate work. And then I spent some time working in the nonprofit sector to and, and enough time to feel that traditional models of aid are, while they're essential for times of crisis, they they often fall short of becoming long-term solutions for lifting communities out of poverty. So um, I became deeply curious about microfinance and entrepreneurship as more sustainable solutions for poverty li- alleviation. Um, and that led me to seek out a graduate degree in social entrepreneurship, uh, which is what I moved to Los Angeles for a handful of years ago. So I, I remember it was just, uh, probably just after I started graduate school that I watched the documentary, the true cost. And it was such a huge wake up call for me personally, the documentary, but, Really in full force and full color, the reality of fast fashion as depleting the earth's resources and leveraging slave labor to pass on a cheap, in quotation marks, um, cost to the end consumer. So uh, it was kind of like this intersection of my graduate work and, and that Watching the documentary really kind of funneled this um, curiosity for me. So I began just reading everything I could about labor issues and finding quickly that hundreds of billions of dollars of profit are generated each year at the hands of forced laborers who are producing really like the products that we eat and use and wear and bring into our homes every day. So um, I just like I just developed this heart sickness over corporate aims to maximize shareholder value with very little regard for how these companies actually impacted their larger communities and the planet. But I think that the true cost helped me tie this line between like, it's not only just the the companies that are responsible, but I became curious about my own role as a consumer. Like, how am I supporting businesses that actually align, uh, with my values for fair trade labor practices and values for sustainability? And so, um, so I think that's where my interest and my curiosity started and what ultimately led me into my work with the good trade.
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of these issues stem from our very complex supply chains, because with big box stores trying to reduce their costs, they outsource like one step of the production process to this place, another step to another place. So it becomes really complex, and they can't even trace back their own supply chains. And obviously, smaller brands are able to have more transparency and know exactly where their things come from. But for big box stores that already have very complex supply chains, what do you think is the best way for them to address this?
1: Yeah, I think it's about tightening up that supply chain. So it's about actually seeing and and not just seeing, but publishing and making transparent the actual factories they're working with, the actual um, materials where they're being gathered. And it's, it's not that these companies don't understand because they do have access to uh, their partner factories, which should be able to give them information on where the materials are being sourced. So I think for big box retailers, the first step is looking at the factories that they're already partnered with, making sure that there's actual real audits that are taking into account uh, real standards for labor issues, whether that's... Um, wages, that's in environmental sustainability, but also working conditions. Um, And there are many ways to measure it, but but actually looking at uh, partner factories and making some type of evaluation of their current partnerships.
0: Yeah, I feel like it sounds very common sense that these should be the very first things a company thinks about. But like, what do you think is stopping companies from prioritizing these as the very first things? I think part of it is that there's been no accountability. There's
1: been, up until the last several years, which I think the Rana Plaza tragedy brought so much um, consumer interest to the issue where consumers started asking the question, like, like who is actually making my products and in what conditions? But this has been such a, um, you know, kind of hidden, closed off area that consumers weren't asking the question so why where was the motivation for these big box retailers to disclose this information Um, and I think inherently in their profit models and I think that gets to kind of the idea of if a corporation's legal reason for being is to maximize their shareholder value then of course they're going to send you know of course they're going to look to maximize that profit. Um, and so until there's kind of accountability where people are saying, how are you creating this kind of profit? Like, how are you impacting your communities and your partner and factories and, uh, the countries in which you are, you know, have laborers and garment workers? Um, I think that, that there hasn't been that, that motivation.
0: hmm And what do you think individuals can do to support big companies to get there? Because there are a lot of like smaller scale startups that are also angry at these issues and they're doing amazing things. But with these big box stores, how can we hold them more accountable?
1: Um, I think, first of all, I think writing notes to companies saying and there are so many amazing templates out there. We have some on our publication. Uh, Fashion Revolution is certainly a amazing resource for just templates, for emails, or Twitter messages, or um, you know, Instagram messages, or Instagram comments, or swipe ups. That's like, hey, I'm a fan of your brand, or I want to be a fan of your brand. Um, I'm really curious to know more about your supply chain. Can you tell me about the people who make the clothes that I love? You know, like simple questions, and uh, I think it's really telling how quickly people get back, what their responses are in terms of. is a brand actually a big box retailer actually starting to think about this actually starting to dedicate resources to um, publish more transparently what their values are and and how they're measuring
0: that yeah essentially any company makes money off of satisfying the needs of their consumers so their consumers are asking these questions it's probably a smart move for them to address it
1: yeah and that's kind of at the heart of of our work with the good trade and kind of my motivation is like, I'm pretty captivated by this idea that as consumers, we're collectively powerful and capable of driving significant social change uh, by shifting our purchasing and lifestyle habits to support more ethical companies and then demanding more from the companies that we are already uh,
0: supporting or purchasing from. So when you started the good trade in 2014, did you expect it To become what it is today, or like, what plans did you have for it when you started?
1: Yeah, well, no, (laughs) (laughs) I totally. So my husband Blake and I co-founded the publication, and it was totally an outlet. It was totally a hobby um, for what I was learning in my graduate work. Because during the program, I was exposed to so many companies and organizations working to do better by people and by the environment, and um, not just in fashion, but across lifestyle categories. And so. I, I was kind of in a spot where I was personally really curious and then I was thinking a lot about my own friends and family who were deeply disturbed and unsettled by the issues behind fast fashion or other industries, definitely like food and the fair trade movement and all of that kind of asking these questions, but um, at that time in 2014, like none of us really knew where to start to change our lifestyles or our spending habits in an impactful way. So. That was the initial beginning of the publication was just my own personal curiosity and place to have an outlet for what I was learning. Um, yeah, and we've now grown to a core team of five, and we're based in our studio in Los Angeles, and um, we now cover conscious fashion, beauty, food, wellness, travel, lifestyle, our readers are enthusiastic, conscious women and men who care deeply about the brands that they support.
0: That's me. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of The Good Trade. And I've had previous guests say that The Good Trade is their favorite publication as well. And I hear it all the time. So Uh you're doing something right. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, what's been your greatest challenge since you started building out the platform?
1: I think there are a lot of challenges. I mean. From an entrepreneurial perspective, it's always a challenge to mature a hobby or a side hustle into full-time work and then ultimately into a young company. And I think, um, I think as women, particularly, we can tend to overthink things and underestimate. That we have what it takes we spend too much time asking ourselves like can i provide something of value can i build a team do i know how to be a good leader can i be responsible to make something financially sustainable for more people than just myself and um so taking that leap was definitely a challenge for me personally but i being thankful for the voices like certainly my husband and family and uh, professors who saw the potential in me and in the company and in this social impact movement and have encouraged our growth along the way.
0: Yeah. Do you remember that light bulb moment when you were like, okay, I'm going all in with this?
1: Yeah. Well, for me, this is maybe a little personal, but it was kind of forced. I was, so I was in doing my graduate work and I was working at the time and I started having some pretty serious health symptoms and so there I am and my doctor is telling me to quit my job my husband is telling me to quit my job if I can and um and friends are encouraging me like quit school or quit your job like something has to go and so I quit my job I really wanted to stay in school and I had the good trade as kind of as what I was doing on on the side as a hobby and I was like if I can just make Like if I could just subsidize the income that I was working for my job, like get even close to that, like even half of that. So that was kind of my motivation. And I really, I really respect entrepreneurs that make that transition from their job to full time their side hustle. Because for me, I felt like it took a crisis. Like I'm not super risk adverse. So (laughs) Um, I think it took that moment of like, I really have to do this. I really have to make this work. And now, of course, I look back and then I'm deeply thankful for like the way that things happen in our lives.
0: Yeah, it's like things were meant to be
1: yeah, it guided yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. It did. And I think
0: even the most painful things in our lives, like There's fruit
1: and there's beauty that comes
0: from those things. For sure. Well, something that I think the good trade does beautifully is balancing, shedding light on issues with inspiring positivity. And that's a very hard balance to achieve. What are your thoughts on how we can better do this collectively?
1: Yeah, I think that's such an important question. And I think clearly you are very aware of this with your work and your writing that You know, so much of the conversation around sustainability and ethics can be really heavy as it should be, like child labor and climate change and and the the issues affecting our planet right now are very serious and real and heavy topics. So um, in our experience with kind of the writing we've done and the work we've done is that Readers respond the best to well-researched, actionable content that leads to meaningful changes in their life. Um, so, like, as a publication, our mission has always been to highlight positive stories and thought pieces and brands. But I think even in the last year, year and a half, we've really made this switch to where, um, we want every single piece of our content to leave the their reader feeling empowered and activated rather than overwhelmed or discouraged about an issue. So we're asking the question of like every single piece that we're publishing, what is that one step that someone could take today in their own life, whether it's um, an action or it's, a, a brand that they're supporting. Like, I think people deeply want to feel that they're part of a solution. And the good news is that they can be and that they are.
0: And I'm sure this is a key part of what's helped the Good Trade be able to reach millions of visitors per year today. And that is super impressive. Other than, you know, providing bite sized, actionable, positive steps for people, what else do you think has been key to the publication garnering such a large and passionate audience?
1: Well, I think that has a lot to do with the audience. I think it really speaks to the interest on the part of conscious women and men who are looking for authentic resources that they can trust. Um, and I, I think it has a lot to do, certainly with our editorial perspective in, in terms of kind of of what we were just speaking to in, in terms of making content actionable. But I also just think it's that more people are really asking this question and the the industry, the social impact, socially conscious kind of industry and consciousness is, is growing quickly and dynamically. Um, and I think it speaks to this really vibrant worldwide community.
0: Yeah. And how does someone reach the people they want to reach? So The Good Trade has been able to reach a lot of these very passionate consumers. What advice would you give to someone with an important message to share or like a do good brand that really wants to get out there to let people know they exist?
1: Yeah, I think partnerships and collaborations are so key. Uh, finding like minded, whether it's, you know, if it's a brand, finding other brands, finding other publications. Um, obviously, if brands whether their social impact or not, just in general are really growing through influencer marketing and there, you know, people have all kinds of feelings about that, but that is certainly, um, a way to, to grow and reach a broader audience. But I think deeper than just, uh, partnerships or influencer marketing or it's, it's the idea of, um, making real relationships with like-minded people and like-minded companies and being able to grow together and i think that's such a um an important thing to do especially with social impact i think we go so much farther and so much faster when we do it together when we when we share our trade secrets when we uh help each other grow it grows the industry as a whole
0: For sure. And with the good trade, you get to work with a lot of brands who are really doing amazing things, striving to help improve the world. What do you see as a common struggle for do-good brands?
1: One thing I feel like I see is social impact companies relying perhaps too heavily on their social good story um, when I think their product must stand on its own in order to be competitive. And, uh, we see this for ourselves as a lifestyle publication. It's like, we, we can't just promote brands that have social good. Like we have to be aesthetically competitive. We have to have really polished writing, really amazing creative. So I think for any, company that's in the in the social good space in order to thrive like they must have a competitive price competitive level of aesthetic and accessibility for consumers um to ultimately be successful in scale
0: yeah so it's not enough to just tell this do good story it has to be all-encompassing exactly yep and reflecting on the good trade you've been working on this since 2014 looking at what types of content has worked or what topics have been most popular um and just from what you've observed being in this space what do you think conscious consumers crave today and really want
1: well in terms of in terms of just content categories people are still really curious about fashion um and i think that that's it, it I think it's really fascinating to me from a psychological perspective. I think that people connect to food and fashion differently than they connect to other areas of their lifestyle because it's so deeply personal. What we put inside our bodies and what we put on our bodies is such a reflection of who we are and our personhood. And um, so those two categories are something that we are still seeing a lot of interest in and an upward trend in terms of um, more continued interest. Um, and then I think, so I think that in terms of content category, I think in terms of like how the content is presented again, I think it's kind of bite-sized actionable and aesthetically pleasing. I think conscious consumers are also uh, a group of people that, 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 have an aesthetic perspective. um, And I think it ties in a bit with minimalism. A lot of uh, consciously minded readers are also interested in minimalism and and kind of decluttering. And so there's an aesthetic that comes with that, that I think uh, conscious consumers and readers are craving as well.
0: Yeah, that's actually a pretty interesting connection. What do you think it is about minimalism that especially appeals to conscious consumers?
1: Well, I think minimalism is like the anchor part of this entire conversation because um, I think ethical consumerism is not about buying more conscious products, but but a buy, about buying less things in general and making the few purchases that we do make really count in terms of quality, of ethics, of durability. And I think that minimalism is the only way that this kind of movement around conscious consumerism scales because, um, one, it's the only way that it makes it actually truly sustainable. Like, it's not, even if we buy an ethically made product, there's still an environmental cost to that. So. I think buying less things is such an important part of this movement, but then also it makes it more um, accessible in terms of affordability. Most people cannot afford to buy consciously made goods at the rate that they were previously buying um, maybe more fast, larger retail type products. It's just, you can't go from buying like a $25 sweater to buying a $200 sweater at the same rate. So it's about thinking about many fewer pieces, longer pieces, more durability, whether that's furniture, whether that's our clothing, whether that's, um, you know, whatever product category.
0: Yeah. And what do you think is the best way to invite like a mainstream consumer who very much is still into fast fashion and getting more for your dollars. How do we bring these people into this conscious consumerism world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think about my own entry to it with storytelling through the true past and it was Um, aligning the my values to something that was really happening in the world. So I think storytelling is really powerful. I think it is actually a really powerful way to start this conversation is to is to tell people the reality of it, like education, uh, I think is so important. And then I think being able to then immediately follow up with like, well, here are your options, and here are some actually affordable, ethical brands, and here are some that are much more of an investment, but that require a lifestyle change. So, uh, but I think leading with the education and leading with that storytelling is, is really powerful.
0: Yeah, well, over the years, I mean, The Good Trade has become a lot of people's favorite publications. You have a huge, loyal following. What's been your proudest accomplishment?
1: Well, one thing I am at present extremely proud of is our daily newsletter, The Daily Good. Um, It's our only channel dedicated just to women. It's a 30-second read every morning. We curate five things. So we send um, something to listen to, something to read, something to browse, visit, and someone to follow. And we have an extremely engaged readership of of several thousand women on that um, channel. And I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud of our team for, for this channel, because I think it's such a, it's a really intimate channel. And I'm, I am so honored to be in people's inboxes every day. I think that's a very um, a sacred, special place to be. So I, I'm just, really, I really love the daily guide. It's so much fun to curate and so much <laughs> fun to, to interact with women about. And we've had some amazing guest editors come in. So it's a really fun way to, to kind of um, collaborate with other women and, and then have a
0: meaningful kind of daily touch point with a lot of women. That's amazing. Where can we find all of this information online and on social media? Our website is thegoodtrade.com, and at social, we're at
1: thegoodtrade, and then you'll find our daily newsletter is called The Daily Good, and if you go to our website, there's a tab for that as well, uh, if people want to sign up for that, and then we have a weekly newsletter that you can find on our website as well, if you are more of a weekly type reader uh, versus
0: a daily reader, so
1: all of the above you'll find there.
0: Before we go into Amy Ann's final five tips for you, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you sincerely for tuning in and to say that if you're enjoying the podcast and wanna support it in some way, I would so appreciate it if you shared your biggest takeaways on social media or gave us a shout out somewhere or just forwarded this episode to one person who you think would find it valuable. And now onto our final five and my takeaways for you. Let's power through. What's a publication or social media other than the good trade that you follow for inspiration?
1: New York Times.
0: <laughs> what do you say to yourself to stay motivated?
1: Ooh, um, times for sowing and times for harvest. Like It's okay to be heads down and build, and then it's okay when the season calls for rest and celebration. Mm-hmm.
0: What's a must do for your health?
1: Oh, uh, get really good sleep, like a lot of it, like nine hours at least.
0: <laughs> Love <laughs> it. What's a simple action we can take for our planet's health?
1: Um, get outside. The more I think we connect to nature, the more we intuitively start to
0: protect it. What makes you most hopeful for our world right now? Science.
1: Uh, I think there's some really meaningful research about ways that we can offset climate change and so, so many other things, but science is, science is amazing.
0: Can you share like one scientific fact that you found recently that?
1: Oh, I would totally butcher a scientific
0: fact right now. <laughs> okay, it's okay. I just sent send you some things that I love. Okay, we'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, what final words of wisdom would you like to pass on to us as green dreamers? Oh, I think build,
1: create, do, don't let anyone tell you you can't. And yeah, I think that's it.
0: Build, create, do. Just keep at it, Green Dreamer. Here are my two takeaways from the episode for you. Number one, when we feel hopeless, we also feel helpless, meaning we're probably not gonna take action. So whenever you can and you're telling someone about some sort of issue in the world, try to always conclude with a simple positive action step that he or she can take to feel empowered and activated with. Number two, minimalism. It's a beautiful way to initiate this conversation in a positive way and to connect all the different ways we make more mindful purchases. Because by nature of needing to reduce, we then also have to think more deeply about the things that we do end up buying. So if you're just introducing someone who's totally new to conscious consumerism, conscious living, touch on the idea of minimalism because that simplicity and the aesthetic of it I feel like it's a beautiful gateway to connect all of us and to invite new people into the conversation with and there that's a wrap as always you can find the show notes on greendreamer.com sign up to get the show's weekly highlights there as well and you can also share your feedback and takeaways with me on instagram at Shane. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer, I will catch you later.